Hey, it's Sarah and Kristen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. As always, with all of the content that is out there, we are super grateful that you choose to spend time with us. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and sea where this podcast is being recorded, the land of the Gubby Gubby people of the Sunshine Coast. We pay respect to their elders past, present and those emerging. Like in previous episodes, we've mentioned that we've started a Patreon account. It's pretty easy to find online at patreon.com forward slash into the wee hours podcast. As much as we are doing this for fun, podcasting, of course, doesn't come without its own one-off and monthly costs, and we'd be super grateful for any support and always grateful for existing Patreons and all of you listening. Thank you massively to our newest Patreon members, Susan R., Jan V., Jake R., Damiana D., Hannah R., and Tom K., We are so incredibly appreciative of any and all support we receive, but again, just happy that you're here. In this episode, we speak with Alison Piercy. Alison is a friend that I have known through Instagram for a couple of years. She was gracious enough with her time to take the train up to the sunny coast so we could finally meet her in person and record this episode. Alison is an avid adventurer, spending a lot of her time on the two wheels of her trusty bike. In this conversation, we spoke to her about how she initially got into adventuring by bike, taking part in the 800-kilometer Cairns to Karamba charity ride with her mom, and also her first bikepacking trip with a friend, loading her bars with a Mexican blanket and stuffing it in a Woolies plastic bag, to now much more intense solo trips through Tasmania, South Australia, and a six-week journey on the Mawson Trail from Adelaide into parts of the Northern Territory. I do also just want to acknowledge that I make a comment at one point about women being denied permits in the Northern Territory without at the time realizing this may be to do with Indigenous laws. And I don't want to come across as super insensitive to that. I do, of course, recognize the rights of our traditional landowners. Alison was a fantastic guest to have on. She is so assured of herself, but Alison also was really honest about some of the parts of bikepacking that may not be as documented hello hike a bike she's also really transparent with the struggles that come from any big trips like she does again unfortunately there is a bit of background popping noise in the audio which is why we are trying a few different things to alleviate the problem and i think we have finally found the solution as always we hope this does not take away from the fantastic conversation with allison cue the music with Kristen. episode 18 of the Into the Wee Hours podcast. My name is Sarah Pendergrass and I am here with my beautiful co-host Kristen Vorton. Hello. Hello. And today we are joined in the studio by Bear, I have to mention you, Bear Vorton. And <laughs> also today by Alison Piercy. Alison, thank you for joining us. Hi, how are you going? Oh, thanks for making the trip up. That's awesome. And no until now, it was formerly known as Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> yeah, I think a few people have thought that was my last name, so I'll go with it. Yeah, it's like your alter ego. Yeah. So yeah, on Instagram, 
Alison is Alice in Wonderland. We were just discussing Harry in the show notes that I shared before we record. I couldn't, well, I couldn't really remember her surname. So it said Alice in Wonderland. She's actually Alison Piercy. I spelt it incorrectly. Like I'm sticking with Wonderland. Yeah, I've heard worse <laughs> names, so I'll stick with it as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we've had a little bit of a warm up just literally sitting in the studio. Now it's actually a lovely day for recording because it's not as hot outside. So hopefully uh, we're not going to be in a bit of a sweat box, but we have gotten a little bit of that warm up beforehand. But just to kind of warm up our guests before, you know, we kick off into the heavy hitter things, uh, we like to start with a bit of a quick fire question. Now, we didn't actually even coordinate who's starting, Sarah. I think it's your starting. Um, Okay, so we're going to start with my favorite question. And I actually don't know what the answer is going to be here. So, Alison, pineapple on pizza hell's yeah or hell's no hell's yeah ah, all the way you. that's right any pineapple on anything i'll take it i love it brilliant <laughs> so our previous guest tom he was i think our first no and Kristen pretty much screamed and hit the ceiling with excitement <laughs> so now like order has been restored we're back to the hawaiian pizza i love it yeah <laughs> Although my brother did say, he's like, I want to just let you know, because my brother became a Patreon too. He's like, I'm a hell's no. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there are people out there. They're only in your family. Probably only in my family. <laughs> yeah, that's just literally genetics. <laughs> All right. Next quick fire question. It's karaoke night. What's your go-to song? Yeah, this just came up the other day. And um, yeah, Sarah's going to think it's pretty funny, but it's actually um, Believe by Cher. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can you do a little? Do you believe? I kind of, I kind of do sing it in a share, share voice as well. It's pretty embarrassing. I haven't had anything to drink, so uh, yeah. I was going to ask how many drinks do you need to get up on the karaoke? Is it one or is it sixteen? Ah, <laughs> uh, that night I think yeah, it was probably closer to sixteen. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know. Do you want me to do it? I, this is a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to put any pressure on you. Okay, no pressure. Thank God. <laughs> Karaoke is my phobia, so I am not making anyone If sing. you make a drunk podcast, I'll do it then. <laughs> yeah. You've got me for that. It can be like our celebration of podcasting for a year. <laughs> 100th episode, maybe 50 or something for real keen. <laughs> so good. All right. So next one, and I know we've discussed this a little bit. I should say, like, Alison and I have talked via Instagram for quite some time now, and this is the first time we've actually managed to meet up in person. So I'm so stoked to meet you in real life. We will adventure together as well, but this is the adventure for now. So with adventures and bikepacking in mind, we know that every item on your bike has to have two uses. What is your favorite two-use item? Oh, man, I feel like it's probably something really boring because... Um, I, I just, I'm so minimal on my bike. I don't really carry a lot of extra stuff, but, uh, probably my Tyvek mat that I put underneath my tent and just like keep it up the front and use it as a little seat to sit on. So I'm not sitting on the dirt. That's probably the only thing I can really think of that I use twice. Everything is clothes. Yeah. yeah. You did have, I think it was on your it was on your Bundaberg trip where you used your Tiva sandal to carry a croissant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and I did a whole little display video and stuff. 
Um, yeah, we really need to get um, back Bikepack Shop to sell some Tevas so that they can rebrand them for bakery holders. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I did lose the croissant in the end because I had been snacking on it and it gradually got smaller and it bounced out. Um, you need to tighten the TV and straps. I did need to tighten the TV straps, <laughs> but you know, when you get it to that optimal level of tightness on your foot, you don't really want to mess with it too much. Fair enough. Yeah. There's, there's work to be done on the yeah. prototype. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Teva for both of you guys, whereas I think I'm Teva. We had this conversation oh. too. I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard of it pronounced that way. There you go. Pineapple on pizza sort of yeah. weirdness. We're on a whole different level. I mean, I like chocolate. I don't like meat. I don't want chocolate meat. It's just a whole thing. <laughs> All right. A genie shows up. Could be the Aladdin genie if you're a Disney-focused person, if you'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, he grants you three wishes. What are your three wishes? Man. Um, I feel like everyone always wants more wishes. Yeah, well, you can't wish for more wishes. Okay, and you can't bring someone back from the dead. There's stipulations on <laughs> there. Okay, those are the two stipulations oh, of making a wish. Yeah. Okay. okay, Robin Williams approved. <laughs> I feel like more time would be good for adventures. Obviously, I feel like more optimal weather, cool weather, because I pretty much do all my adventures in winter, and then in summer it's just way too hot. So maybe an optimal weather pattern, maybe some rain, but not a lot and just cool weather. I don't really want to move to get this wish though. So it would be good if it was here or wherever I go. It that, could just yeah. be like a bubble. I could take the weather with perfect me perfect maybe. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and last one. Oh man, this is really difficult. Um... I don't know I really don't feel like I need a lot or want to change a lot in my life I feel pretty happy I feel pretty content with everything I have um and I work pretty hard to get the things that I have I'm maybe you know endless money so I didn't have to worry about having to work so hard yeah that would be good but I feel like that that seems really selfish to want money to oh. buy things Wow. Maybe I could give some of it, some of it away as well. different ways. You could like buy bikes for like every person you meet or something and take yeah. them on an adventure. There's lots yeah. of things to do with that. They're, yeah, probably the only things I can really think of. If I think of anything else along the way, I'll maybe Just change my out. answer. Yeah, 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 you're fine. <laughs> Again, it took Sarah and I an entire weekend of hiking to figure out three things. And I can't <laughs> yeah. even remember what we came up with. The one I always remember, and I think you would actually appreciate this, Alison, so we'll get on to it, but Alison has done some enormous multi-day, um, like long trips on her bike through desert areas. We had a guest, Rob, who suggested dehydrated water. So mm. basically water is weightless. Mm, that is a good idea. Because yeah. that's always a challenge. Yeah. So yeah. But if I could take the weather with me, I could just make it rain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. True. Basically (laughs) nailed it with that one. Yeah. Boom. Done. All right. So next one, mentioning you've been on some awesome adventures. What is your most memorable place you've ever camped? Um, Most memorable. I feel like I really, really loved when I was in the Northern Territory in the uh, West McDonald Ranges there was a little campsite right on the edge of the ridge and it had all these purple flowers around it and it was just the right size for my tent and I could see 
uh, Mount Sonda from the campsite and then that's when my friend Penny pulled up beside me and then we made good friends and we went on a little adventure so it was kind of nostalgic little campsite as well and um, yeah I just feel like that was probably my most memorable one just for everything that happened the time the place the look everything yeah and then the connection, because you say you're a friend, but you didn't know her at the yeah, time, I didn't, right? Yeah, so, I didn't know yeah. her. Yeah, I met her randomly at that campsite and then made good friends and, yeah. So cool. That's Love an it. awesome campsite. Yeah, yeah. Very good. All right, the last one. We like to challenge our guests. Um, you know, gratitude is at the forefront of a lot of people of what they um, choose to focus on, but gratitude can also be very external. So we also like to have people challenged to practice self-compassion. So give yourself a compliment. I actually don't really struggle to give myself compliments. I think a lot of people do, but I have really good positive self-talk, I think. And I think I'm really grateful for that because I know a lot of people don't have that and I really wish that's something I could give to people. So I think, and yeah, sure, I do have my downtimes and stuff, but I feel like it's really, really helpful with the rides and the adventures and stuff that I go on because I'm constantly talking to myself like you've got this you can do it keep going so I don't really need anyone else to motivate me um it would be good to have that occasionally I do sometimes need that but when I'm alone and I'm doing these things alone I really do find myself feeling like quite grateful that I've got that positive self-talk and I can motivate myself so yeah I'm pretty happy I've got that um I nice. That. Yeah. Would you like to give yourself a specific compliment today? <laughs> Alison's like, oh god. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I always put myself out of my comfort zone, and I'm definitely doing that today by coming on the podcast. And I've known Sarah for like probably two years or something, and I'm actually just meeting her now today for the first time in person. So that can be quite a scary thing, meeting new people. And I haven't met Kristen before. So, yeah, um, good on you for doing that. Alison, you did a great job. Good on you, yes. mate. <laughs> I am stoked that you've done that. And also Kristen got in her mate Australian yeah, accent. Yeah, that's the worst mate <laughs> I've ever heard. Thank you. That's what I told her and she says it's not. I'm we'll work on it. We'll work on it. <laughs> Just to listen America. to me a bit more. I'm pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I go back to America and everybody's like, oh, you sound Australian. <laughs> Anyways, I'll never think. That's a great compliment to yeah, give yourself. And I think that's an amazing trait to have and to recognize that you do have really good self-talk. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's Thanks. a lucky thing. Yeah. I feel like that was one of my genie wishes was that I could, what was it that basically could give people great self-worth? Because mm. it is something that is so lacking. Um, in myself included so I love hearing that and I can relate to you in terms of on trips having mm. that good self-talk but need to pull that into the rest of life sometimes yeah so, yeah that's awesome love it very good you made it through the quick fire congratulations Lord, congrats yeah <laughs> I can breathe again <laughs> <laughs> all right so now we're gonna put you on even more of the spot <laughs> we always like to um kind of open up the floor because again like Sarah knows you quite well I've never met you talked to you anything like that we had a little bit of a warm-up beforehand but a lot of listeners won't know you either mm. so a bit of an origin story on who allison is where you've come from you know what you're doing all of this stuff how you got into adventuring just as many or little words as you'd like it's always how i like to kind of throw it to you guys yeah okay uh well so i grew up in north queensland in cairns and i guess 
yeah, I always had a bike when I was younger, growing up, uh, just rode, rode around the neighborhood, rode with friends, uh, through to high school. I used to ride with my mum a little bit as well. She bought the same bike as me. We both had matching bikes. Cool. It's probably a little bit lame in high school, but Cute. I get along well with my mum, so it was okay. And she bought it, so obviously I'm pretty thankful for that. And um, then I moved to Perth when I was about 18, 19, and I didn't really do much adventuring then. And I had bikes, but they were kind of like the ladies' cruiser bike, you know, just for fun, chill sort of 5, 10-kilometer rides maybe. And uh, just kind of got a little bit lost with life, didn't really have very adventurous friends, kind of just sort of more drinking and going out, that sort of thing, you know, in your early 20s, you kind of get like that. And I worked a lot. I worked in finance and just kind of had a bit of a boring life, I think, in in my eyes. When I look back now, that's how I feel. Great for anyone else who likes that. But uh, then I moved to Brisbane when my sister had kids and I kind of just wanted to get a bit closer to family again. And I rarely went home back to Cairns when I lived in Perth because it was a five-hour flight. So uh, I just thought it would be better being back closer to family. And my fitness was really, really lacking. I'd put on a lot of weight from not doing anything and lots of alcohol involved and stuff. Um, Just prior to moving to Brisbane, I worked for Kentucky and I was a Kentucky tour manager in Southeast Asia. Oh, yeah. So my mental health, my physical health was all pretty, really lacking. Uh, And I learned a lot about myself doing those trips that I'm probably not really a huge group person. So I kind of started to go on a bit bit more of a mental journey and become healthier inside and out. And, yeah, so when I moved to Brisbane and was closer to family, I kind of got my life more back on track again. And uh, my mum, she got into cycling again and she joined a little bike club in Innisfail where she lives. And she said, oh, I'm going to do this bike ride. It's called Cairns to Corumba. Do you want to do it as well? I was like, I had a fixie bike. I didn't have a mountain bike or anything at the time. And I had sold that bike that I had when I was younger. So I hadn't ridden a mountain bike for ages. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll give it a go. And the bike ride was, I think it was 800 kilometers or something. It was over a week. And I thought, okay, well, this would be good. I can, you know, get into training for that. And I bought a new bike. I actually bought two bikes in the time frame. It was about a year between signing up for it and actually doing it. I had bought two bikes in that time, <laughs> brand new bikes. And I started off with a hardtail and I really loved it. And then I bought a dual suspension, started doing a few more jumps sort of things, kind of getting back into what I used to do when I was younger, riding through parks and trails and stuff. And then I finally went on my first bikepacking trip and I did the Brisbane Valley Rail Trail. I did it for, I think it was four days over Easter with a friend, my friend Gina, who wasn't a bike rider at all. And she rode my old bike, the first bike that I had when I was living here, the hardtail. And I rode my dual suspension. We put whatever bags we had on the bike that we could think of. I didn't even really know that bikepacking was a thing. So uh, I had a Mexican blanket wrapped 
in a Woolworths plastic bag attached to the handlebars with Oki straps and a, a backpack with like a water bladder and some snacks and some clothes and some tools and a little saddlebag on the back. And she had the tent and a couple of other random things strapped to her bike. And it was raining. It was a bit miserable. The weather was pretty bad, but we had such a good time. It was so fun. And then finally it came to the point where I would do that uh, Cairns to Karumba ride. And I eventually did that and I loved it. It was really, really awesome. Rode with a whole bunch of people that I'd never met before. Uh, but the take home from it was that I didn't really love riding with a huge group of people. I was back in that group thing again and I loved seeing all this rural land and uh, different places and riding different terrain. I loved that aspect, but I didn't really love doing it with a group. Um, and it was a charity ride, so there were all different aspects that were great about it. But it was the group thing that I was a little bit off about. So I thought I'll maybe get into riding a bit more on my own. But then uh, I went on a couple of trips by myself, but then I decided to move to Canada. And with the same friend, Gina, we went to Canada is that 2019? I'm getting so mixed up with the years yes. of COVID now. We decided to do that. So 2020 in February, we finally went to Canada and then um, COVID hit and we came back about six weeks later and yeah, found time. ourselves back at work. Um, so in the quarantine stage of being back in Brisbane, I thought I can't just sit around here and do nothing. I've now got this new adventurous lifestyle that I'm totally addicted to riding bikes. And my plan was originally to do that in Canada, but because we came back so quickly, I didn't even get a chance to buy a bike there or anything. And I sold mine before I left. So I was bikeless and I needed to get something pretty quick so that as soon as I got out of quarantine, I could hit the dirt road again. So I bought the bike that I have now, my um, Surly Bridge Club, and I can put so much stuff on it and go anywhere I want. I sold my car before I went to Canada, so obviously I, I still have no car now and it's been the longest time in my life that I haven't had a car and it's awesome. Like I can catch the train anywhere. I can put my bike on the train. So yeah, basically I kind of just wanted to live my life differently and found all the different pieces of the puzzle of how I could make it work. And the bike has been the one thing that has really brought all of that out because I can be fit and healthy mentally and physically with the bike and it's just opened up so many more adventurous places and things that I want to do in my life overseas in Australia. I've met new people through it. I've met so many people through the bikepacking community and yeah, like Sarah can attest to that as well. You kind of just make friends with random people you have things in common with where I feel like you wouldn't really have found those people if you didn't have the community online to do that. Um, I haven't met that many people in person. I have met quite a few just like, Hey, cool bike. Want to be friends? <laughs> Doesn't really happen very often, but it has happened. But I think way more people I've, I've met through the online options, um, to just open up that, that world. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It's so true. The power of, I mean, it's a, when you say online in my mind, I'm thinking Instagram, like that's where I've made mm. most of my connections with bikepacking, but it is, it seems to be 
like I feel like a lot of sport I mean Kristen and I obviously connect because of trail running but there's something about the bikepacking community in Australia it's pretty small still and somehow we just seem to all link up yeah via Instagram yeah. I don't know and then you have Matty who started Desire Lines and like you've written articles for Matty yeah. after trips you've done um but it's a really cool community in that sense for sure and so um, BVRT, was that like 2018? That yeah. Did that yeah, it was cancer? 2008. Two, oh, yeah, 2018. Or two, no, maybe it was 2019. 19. Yeah. So, yeah, we were saying in the <laughs> yeah, car, the years are really confusing. Um, so in terms of, you talk about like what you, the lifestyle that you've discovered with the bike, you've done some pretty big trips mm. as a result. What was your first like bigger trip? Uh, so yeah, after I did those two that I talked about earlier, I did the, um, Tassie trip mm. in January, 2021. So this year, yeah, at the start of this year. And that was my first big trip before that I had only really done by myself, probably three or four days each time. And, uh, this time it was four weeks. So I just, yeah, I kind of followed the Tassie gift route and I had talked to Emma Flukes online, just kind of made friends with her on Instagram. And I said, is this completely crazy that I haven't ever done any huge bikepacking trips and I'm now going to go and try and do this route that you've created? And so for people who aren't bikepacking specialists, do you want to introduce who Emma is and what the Tassie gift is? <laughs> because just... before Alison says anything it's an insane route okay yeah yeah. um well the Tassie gift route is I think it's 1800 kilometers the one that I did I did the 2020 version of it and uh basically it kind of circumnavigates Tasmania so it goes uh from Hobart up through the central plateau area and then it goes up uh northwest along sort of through some coastal areas of the western coast and then it goes back through the central plateau area and then circumnavigates like the eastern section of Tasmania coastal uh, all through uh, national parks conservation land mostly off-road yeah in remote Um, in remote areas yeah in a figure of eight is that yeah 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 yeah, figure of eight and Emma she's uh, probably the closest thing I could describe her as is a machine. Uh, She does it in, what did she do it in like nine days or something like that? Something crazy? Something really crazy. Yeah. So I don't really do it that way. I took it, I did it over four weeks, but I just did the Eastern section of it. So I went up from Hobart uh, through like the central plateau area. And then I went Northeast and then down the coast heading sort of southeast along the coast and through some um, inner areas of the the eastern side and then back down to Hobart. And that was the first couple of days of that was intense. I pushed my bike up Mount Wellington. Uh, I'd like to say I rode it, but I didn't. There was barely any pedaling. I pushed it. I started at 10 a.m. on New Year's Day because I – had a wild new year's eve without even intending to long story basically i locked myself out of the house that i was staying in and i yeah had to try and get back in and i had to ask the neighbors to help me get back in and then i ended up drinking a lot of wine with them because they did help me out (laughs) and they made me dinner and everything so yeah i kind of didn't expect to be starting so late on new year's day but 
you know, things happen. And then I finished at about 10.30 p.m. that day and I had a whole bunch of things happen to me throughout the day that created that delay in the end. Um, But I was pretty broken going up that elevation and I think it was like the elevation of the mountain was like 1,200 metres or something like that. And I don't really know the vertical things and all that. I don't really get into that too much, Uh, but it was really intense and... But it kind of tapered off throughout the rest of it, but it's so hilly in in Tasmania. It was pretty intense, but then the next trip that I did, it ended up being a lot flatter, so it was a lot easier, and I could take a lot more time to do it and ended up doing sort of double the amount that I did in Tasmania. So Tasmania was only 1,200. Yeah, don't say only. (laughs) No, that's the thing. For for context, in bikepacking land, route setting, so developing these routes is becoming more and more common in Australia. It's all over the world. There are these set routes. Emma built this route. Like she is, as Alison says, a machine. So she'll go and just ride for like 24 hours and just, just for fun. You know, she'll get up early on the weekend, head out. She's always um, heading off on routes that are super remote, finding herself having to turn around. Like she takes on really challenging terrain. She just rides like a hardtail, but it's full on. Like mm. she she's not picking easy routes. So as Alison says, taking four weeks to ride like h- half the loop is very normal. Mm. Um, <laughs> Emma just pushes through and does it in this in- insane thing. And so every year she... I don't know how long it's been going on for, for a few years now. She essentially has this mysterious, it started off as this mysterious thing, like the Tassie gift appeared on Instagram or on Facebook and was this route so you could see the GPX file and ride it. And it had a departure day, like a grand depart, where you could all meet up and go. And it was just a handful of people, I think, in the first year. You obviously just decided to do this on your own. Mm, yeah. Um, but being a nice community and Emma obviously being open, you were able to contact her before and yeah. find out some stuff. But yeah, there's nothing easy about this. And I think you messaged me after the first few days being like, uh, what have I done? <laughs> because it's like insane hike a bike, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, after the first day, uh, well, during the first day, you know, pushing up the hill to this accommodation that I'd booked online because I'd been refused at the first accommodation, long story. Um, I called my mum at like 10 p.m. My lights had gone out and I was, I wanted to cry, but um, I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to do it. So (laughs) I I was like, can you tell me some good things about myself? Because I'm really struggling. And like I said before, I don't struggle to give myself that motivation most of the time, but I was pretty broken. Um, So yeah, uh, that first day, she did say to me, the first day is going to be the worst. Don't let this first day, it's not going to be the like the rest of the trip is not going to be like that. The, the first day is the worst, and I was like, I had that in my head of her saying, the first day is the worst. Just you'll be you'll be fine. Keep going. Um, but the second day, it was pretty bad too. But I, I, <laughs> I think I only made it maybe fifty kilometers on the second day, and I think I was trying to get a lot further. And I sat down on the side of the road and I fell asleep, just leaning on my knees. I just fell asleep for like 10 minutes and I thought, okay, maybe I should just set my tent up. It was about 1 p.m. and it was the sun was just beating down and I was like, okay, yeah, just just have a sleep. And then the next day I was like, woohoo, I'm ready to go. I just needed a really good sleep. And, nice. um, yeah, I think the next day I rode 100 kilometers um, and off-road 100 kilometers is, is pretty big. So I really made up some time there. Um, but yeah, the rest of the trip was just incredible. I met 
some different people uh, and but mostly it was very lonely throughout that um, rural area of of Tasmania but yeah it was really good and so you talk about loving to do stuff solo you know you you did your first thing up in it was up in Cairns with that big group of people Mm. you're like I love this rural bit of it but like I don't need all you people here yeah kind of want to experience this by myself yeah but then you just mentioned it's very lonely out there yeah so what drives you to do some of this stuff solo yeah um I think it's the the experience of like learning about myself and taking that alone time to understand how I process things and uh how I am on like on the return as well like what have I learned from this and what thoughts go through my mind when I'm writing uh, I often don't really think of how many things I'm I'm thinking and changing about myself while I'm writing it's often um, subconscious changes but then when I get back I'm like wow I've just had this incredible experience I need to reflect on this and coming back from that Tassie trip I was a little bit like lost because it was I didn't really meet that many people and I kind of um, felt a bit like what do I do now that this trip is over um, I, I just have to go back to work like I can't do this I've just gone on this life-changing trip I need to do something else now um, so then pretty much, yeah, started planning the Outback trip. And then I did that, I think it was like three months, four months later. So I got back from the Tassie trip at the end of January. And then at the end of May, I went on the Outback trip and um, it was for six weeks. So each time I was getting longer and longer and the next trip's probably going to be even longer. But um, yeah, I feel like it's the now after the outback trip it's probably for the people and the places that I'm going to whereas the first trip it was it was pretty lonely but I wasn't alone I don't know I feel I feel like I wasn't lonely but there was no one out there right interesting do you intend to is it a route that you'd like to go finish off and do the yeah as well definitely yeah yeah. I've thought about maybe doing the hunt 1000 and riding from um uh, Canberra to Melbourne and then crossing over to Tasmania on the ferry and then riding the west coast and down to Hobart. So that's something that I've thought wow. about doing. That, your climbing legs would be mm. incredible after yeah. doing that. That's and I, amazing. I don't even do any training beforehand, so it's probably going to take me a while to do it, but it'll be a long trip. So that's a great point. Um, so you started off, well, you didn't start, but you did the Tassie gift half of that route it is a tough route, as we've said. That was um, a case of choosing someone else's route, downloading that and following that. That then inspired you to map your own mm. route, which we'll come on to. But in terms of the preparation for either the Tassie gift or that next trip, you say you don't do training. Like, mm. what, what do you do preparation-wise? Uh, yeah, I pretty much just, yeah, creating the route and I do a couple of little rides and stuff, um, but the weather it depends on the weather I don't really like to ride in summer to be honest I don't really do much at all Mm -hmm. um I try and go running and I try and stay fit and stuff but uh yeah I definitely I don't sort of go out and do like week-long trips or anything like that I just like to get into it when I'm doing it and get fit as I'm going and yeah that's all the training I do is on the ride that I'm doing. <laughs> Which is interesting because like you said, you know, the first couple of days are probably then very hard. Yeah. 
as your body is adapting to all this stuff, we had like a slight conversation and, you know, nothing scientific backed by Sarah nor myself. But yeah, it seems like the longer that you go, the more your body adapts and mm. it's just kind of getting into it. And sometimes people might overthink that training aspect. Oh, I've got to be super fit yeah. before I go into six weeks on the road yeah. on my bike. But you might not need to overthink it that much. Like your body's kind of going to adapt yeah. once you're on the fly. Yeah. Is the I think it really depends on where you're going and what the elevation is going to be. Mm. I probably could have done a little bit more preparation for the Tassie one, but I was just like, yeah, I don't. I don't care. I'm going to get there either way. I've got that positive self-talk where I can't turn back. It's just way too hard to turn back. I'd rather just keep going forward, even though it's going to be another four weeks of this. Um, it's just easier for me to just keep going. So yeah, it took me a really long time to get through day one of that trip. And there were all those out, um, like external things that happened, but I wouldn't change it. I thought it was, yeah, it changed me by going through those things in a more difficult way. I could really like test where my body could take me and, and what I could do without any preparation. And yeah, I don't know, I guess it kind of gets you prepared for the next one. And yeah. I love that. And essentially like what you're seeing there is it is all about your attitude, right? Like mm. you weren't heading off to do either of these rides in some fastest known time. Mm. Like you're there for the experience. Yeah you know you can sit on your bike and time isn't really the factor. It's yep. just like follow the route. Yeah. And I don't care if I comes. push. I don't care who sees me pushing my bike. Oh, yeah. Everyone needs to push at some stage. Yeah. Like, you know, you. I don't know if you know Jenny Tuff on Instagram. She pushes her bike through the, the Silk Mountain so, yep. race yep. and she shows that she does that. And I don't know, I kind of want to – show people that it's not all just riding and um, coasting and having a good time. It is actually quite difficult what we're putting our bodies through and it's okay to push your bike because, you know, you're not a machine. You know, Emma Flukes is... Yeah, well, there's, there's some weirdos <laughs> out does, there, but... <laughs> she does a lot of training. She's always on the... Um, on Zwift. <laughs> yeah, on Zwift and stuff. Like, I don't have any of that stuff at home. I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm a casual, slow touring rider i'm not into the the ultra distance um endurance stuff but yeah i mean i'm pretty sure you are (laughs) (laughs) well the other thing as well is that pushing or hike a bike as i would call it is not easy like there's nothing fun actually (laughs) because you have to remember you're dealing with a loaded bike and allison i know you said you travel light but you can stick a lot of stuff on your bike i'm gonna call you out on that (laughs) (laughs) and we still don't have dehydrated water at this stage (laughs) i mean i'm kind of like a mix between bikepacking and touring i don't have the huge panniers that's what i mean by like minimalist is that it's like I'm trying to cram everything into these small bags. I don't want huge panniers and stuff because I still need to be able to lift my bike because I do cross a lot of fences that are put up by farmers who say it's private land, but Mm -hmm. it's not, and you have to lift your bike up, and I don't want to have to take things off, so I still need to be able to pick up my bike so I can't have huge panniers and stuff on there. Yeah, Yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then, so in terms of this next trip, you mentioned the Outback trip and you mentioned it was flatter. Mm. It's a huge thing to design your own route. Do you want to talk a little bit about that process and, and how, well, first of all, where you went, the distance, but yeah, how you mm. decided to go to those places? Yeah. Uh, so I guess I kind of still did sort of follow some routes, but they're not really uh, routes that a lot of people have done on their bike. 
Um, the first part of it was the Mawson Trail, and yeah, that is something that a lot of people have done on their bike, uh, but I didn't really follow the whole track because there were outside uh, influences like the weather and that sort of thing that I couldn't really just stay on that track because it was the terrain was too wet and sticky. I would have it would have taken so long. So I kind of changed it up just on the fly. Can you tell us where the Mawson Trail starts and how yeah, far it is? So that starts in Adelaide and goes up to the Flinders Ranges. It's eight hundred kilometers and it's kind of like an it's been described as an ants trail. Um, it goes through all different little towns and stuff, but rather than going the direct fastest route, it takes you sort of out and around and up and down and you kind of backtrack a little bit sometimes and you don't really necessarily need to keep following all of that but if you need to go through towns to pick up supplies and that sort of thing um yeah so I just kind of did that on the fly I changed it as I went and it goes through some towns where there's wineries um awesome bakeries Mm, pubs yeah so it's kind of a regional town sort of bike riding trip. There was lots of people that I could see along the way. It wasn't as rural as the first trip that I did in Tassie. Um, But I got to the Flinders Ranges and then as I moved out of the Flinders Ranges, I sort of started getting onto the more outback uh, routes, I suppose. So I then got onto the Unadada track, which goes from Mari to Marla. So Mari is um, in South Australia and Marla is too, but it's only about um, 200 kilometers or so from the Northern Territory border. So I rode along that track. It's about 620 kilometers on the Udnadatta track. And it's pretty much just a flat track that, uh, four wheel drivers go on, motorbikes go on. Um, not really many cyclists go on it. Proper red dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Like red dirt, brown dirt, uh, gravel, and it's, few potholes and that sort of thing but it's not extreme termite mounds as far as the eye can see (laughs) yeah it was um really different terrain and a lot of people in cars would sort of say to me like aren't you bored out here like there's nothing out here we're bored in the car someone told me that they went on the birdsville track which i didn't go on and their wife just read a book the whole way 600 kilometers or 800 kilometers whatever the Uh, birdsville track is and i just thought that's so boring you're stuck inside this metal box and you're not even looking outside you're reading a book can't imagine anything worse so yeah it would be boring in a car um but i'm stopping and looking at like tiny little flowers on the side of the road and like oh wow this sand is a different color to the last sand that i saw and there's all these random cliffs on the side and there are all these little places to stop at like um, little s- swimming areas in, in some places or an outback pub. Uh, there were so many different little things along the track. And, uh, yeah, to me, I was never bored because I was going so slow and I could take in all the little intricacies along the way. And then after I got to the end of that track, I got on a bus and headed up to um, Alice Springs and then I rode – through the West McDonald Ranges, and that was road for that bit. Uh, then there was a little bit that I was meant to go on. It was a dirt part, but then I ended up making friends with the girl at the um, uh, campsite, and we ended up driving together in her car. So I took my bike apart, took both the wheels off, took all my bags off, and shoved it in the back of her 
tiny RAV4 and she had um, her swag and everything. She had all these things that she had used for about a year of traveling around in her car and we jammed everything in and then just went on a little road trip together. Um, This trip for me was more about meeting the people and making experiences and, and that sort of thing rather than just trying to figure everything out on my own and sticking to that plan that I did in Tassie. Like I was only on that route and I couldn't go off it because I had no idea where anything else was. I was just sticking to that one route. Whereas this was like, oh, you know, I'll just go with the flow. If I meet people, I'll go with them. And I really, really loved it. So I think that's more what I would really like to do rather than the rural, no one around, not meeting anyone. I think I would really like to meet more people, but then go our separate ways and then you know, I go on my own a bit again and yeah. So there's that flexibility of the solo aspect that you've talked about as well, mm. Sarah, like that day that you in Tassie at one o'clock, you're falling asleep with mm. the sun beating down. If you've got someone next to you, like, come on, we got to go. Come yeah. on. I'm, I'm not tired. Yeah. You know, you're kind of on your own schedule Yeah. As that well. pressure. Yeah. And I don't really like that. I like to be sort of more in control of the plans that I'm making. And yeah, if I decide that I just want to stay somewhere for two days because I'm, I'm liking it or I've met people or I just need a break, um, I can do that and not have to worry about what anyone else wants to do if it's different. So yeah. I liked all of that. Sorry. I just jumped in. I liked all the aspect of like from Adelaide, I think you said up until the Flinders range that there was all of those little towns and stuff. It feels very reminiscent to doing the continental divide like Toby did where there's all these towns that are kind of set up. It sounds like Mm. for people like you coming through, like that's quite a cool community that you can kind of be a part of as well. And there's the walking trail through there as well, the um, Hayson trail. And it's got all these huts along the way. So I stayed in a couple of little huts and caravan parks, those sorts of things. Uh, There weren't as many wild camps as they were in the outback part of it. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of liked the aspect of meeting people at the parks and stuff as well. They're like, oh, what are you doing? Where are you going? And you have a little chat. So you can be by yourself all day, but then you can have a little chat along the way and get to know people and they get to know you. So it's, I like the solo aspect because I can be by myself and I can have my thinking time, but then I can meet people along the way as well. So you're never really alone when you're on a solo trip. You do meet people along the way and they do help you out in some way. Yeah. Although I, let's not downplay how remote you were at times <laughs> on that trip, right? Like it's yeah. not like you're like going through bustling towns when no. you're on that track and it's just miles of red or dirt or grey dirt or whatever the, the nuance was with the different colour. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were pretty remote. Yeah, definitely. Then. There was, yeah, I mean, it was What was winter. your longest resupply or without um, resupply? four days three or four days yeah Yeah. so I had to carry like 16 liters of water on my bike if it was summer you wouldn't even attempt it because you would drink so much more water Mm -hmm. but it's probably only drinking maybe four liters to five liters max with cooking and overspill and all sorts of things but um yeah carrying that much water on my bike 16 extra kilos on top of everything else that I already had if I was carrying huge panniers and stuff with excess items I wouldn't be able to pick my bike up or move it or anything like that so yeah and we it we're lucky we're very fortunate um to be in the s in the I guess mindset of it's not a big deal like we're sitting around we're three women and like oh it's totally normal Mm. super safe to go off on your own but a lot of people have red 
you know, red alarms that come back. And I'm sure that you get a lot of feedback from people going, Allison, is this safe? Like, Mm. are you sure you want to do this alone as a woman in the middle of the outback? So what's been your experience? Has anything ever been bad or has it like any, yeah, anything on that topic? Yeah. Um, I feel like I have had different experiences with the two trips. They're very contrasting. I um, met a dude on the Tassie trip who tagged along with me for a couple of days and I feel like I had different experiences with him when he was there. Maybe more people offered things thinking that we were a couple or something and they would be like, hey, do you want to stay at our little thing out the back of our house? Whereas I feel like people get scared to offer women stuff because they don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. So men who are driving, in my experience, I feel like they might not necessarily ask a woman because they don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Um, But when he was with me, they were like, yeah, come and stay at our um, little shack out the back of our house. I feel like I got different hospitality when I was alone versus with another person and especially a guy. Um, But then when I was on the Outback trip, there were women who were like kind of being a bit judgmental towards me. Like, Oh, you're on your own. Why would you do that? Like kind of projecting their fears on me. And I was like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Like, you you know, they're like, Oh, what about Wolf Creek and that sort of thing. And I'm just like, that's just a movie, you know, the places that I went to sure they were remote, but there were people who were traveling on those tracks who were going to different campsites and stuff. And they were all out there for a purpose, like, um, going on an adventure themselves. And I just don't feel like weird, crazy people are going out to these places to, you know, just kill people. Um, I don't know. I just, those thoughts do run through my head. Obviously, um, you do kind of think about that, but, I just feel like the more that you put yourself out of your comfort zone and realize that that's not happening, that that's just like a fear that you're feeling, you can kind of just get past it. And uh, I wasn't always sort of this like fearless. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm fearless, but I feel less safe closer to big cities in caravan parks and that sort of thing. I'm more worried about my bike getting stolen or you know, cause you can hear people, you can hear trucks and cars and things. Whereas when you're in the outback, you can't hear anything. And if you do hear something, you know, something's coming. So you can kind of hide yourself or be unseen. I don't know. There's, but there are a lot of thoughts that do still go through my head, but I'm not going to not do something because of an irrational fear. And I suppose, I mean, I, first of all, I love everything that you said, and I feel like I would say exactly the same thing. Um, so nice, (laughs) but we've, we've had similar experiences with remote trips in terms of like, you talk about it as an irrational fear, like some things happen. Is, is there anything that you did in terms of precautions of telling people where you'd be or any Mm. technology you carried so that people could track where you were? Yeah. So, um, I always have my location services on and my mum has my Google location, um, just because I go on trips and she's quite interested in it. And she's like, Oh, I wonder where you are. It's more of that, but probably she does have some little fears of like, Oh, my daughter's out there by herself. What's going on. But she never tells me that because she wants me to have a good time and she doesn't want me to think that she's scared or worried or anything. But just as a precaution, I have that. Um, I also took like an emergency um, personal location device, like a little beacon that I borrowed off my mum's bike group. Uh, I joined their little bike group in Innisfail for $20. I could 
join the group and ride with them when I go on holidays and see my mum, but also borrow this thing that they could send in the post to me. Um, mm-hmm. It was a very last resort sort of thing. I never had to use it, uh, but now I've got like a little um, – what are they called? What in reach. God? Garmin in reach. reach. Yeah. So I haven't even taken it out of the box yet because I haven't had to use it, but um, I'm taking extra precautions now for so I don't have to message her like, oh, I'm going to message you in four days when I'm at this place so you know that I'm safe. I can just kind of check in and not have to stress myself about letting someone know where I am. She can just check in if she wants to. How do your parents feel about all this stuff? Um, I actually talk to them a lot more when I'm on these trips. They seem really interested about where I'm going. Um, like my dad's a man of few words. And then when I am on these trips, we connect more, like we talk on the phone and stuff and he's like, oh, so where are you? And he gets the map out and he's looking. Um, I think that they're really, I I guess I would say like inspired, like they're proud that I'm doing these things. Uh, they're not really... I wouldn't say they're super adventurous people themselves. Like I don't think that they necessarily want to do all these things. My mom definitely does more now that she's seen me doing them. But um, yeah, I think they think it's really cool. I suppose. Yeah, they. Awesome. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. cool. Yeah, (laughs) they're not. They don't come across as worried or scared or anything like that. They seem more interested in in what I'm doing and where I'm going and supportive. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Never a way of like. Oh, Alison, you shouldn't be doing this. It's yeah. Too dangerous. I think yeah. I would still do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they probably know that as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of convince them with the research that I do. Um, and I'm like, no, look, this is going to be what's going to happen. People have told me these stories. It's going to be like this. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. So, yeah. And I think that's the other aspect of solo stuff that people underestimate is your preparation. Mm. So like you say, you're not just suddenly looking at a map and arriving at the trailhead and heading off. I know you did a considerable amount of research, especially things like how much water you're going to need, that kind of thing, which is super important, obviously, for your safety. It isn't just a on the fly, I'm heading off. Like yeah. you're, you're taking the experience that you had in your Tassie solo trip you're applying that to your next trip. You're taking all of those mm. learnings. The other aspect I think that people are fearful of with solo stuff and bike stuff in particular are things like mechanicals mm. or like injury first aid stuff. Yeah. Have you had any bad, in inverted commas, things happen, be it with your bike or your body? Yeah. Um, I've never really, like on a big long trip, I haven't really had any issues. When I was in the outback, I did run over a lot of thorns and I have tubeless tires. So I was pretty thankful that I had the tubeless because I would have been changing the tubes all the time. I took spare tubes with me as well. Um, like latex ones that fold down really small, never had to put them in. I have had to do that on like a, a shorter, um, like a race style ride that I did with a group of people but the then again the community like we all pitched together and we got it done quickly if it was me doing it myself I'd probably take a lot longer because I'm not as confident with changing things and all that sort of stuff I am learning more about it but um I can do it but it just takes me a lot longer whereas when you're with a group they're like okay let's quick let's hurry to get it done we want to get back on the road we've got to do it by this time frame so I'm like yep okay cool yeah 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 going with it and stuff um but definitely haven't had any major injuries i've never broken any bones i've never really touched wood <laughs> sorry <Derek. laughs> wake up dog uh yeah I, i've never like majorly fallen off or anything like that i have had like the bike fall on me a couple of times and i'm trying to cross something where i've got to pick my bike up and get across some random little crazy broken bridge that was more so in tassie 
um, because <laughs> it's like the road just stops and then there's a big gaping hole in the road and you've got to kind of like cross a log to get to the other side and it's like four meters and you're trying to scurry across with your bike. So kind of have had the bike fall on me. That's a bit painful because it's so heavy, but picture like a motorcycle like falling on you uh, and it could be so heavy to yeah, get back up yeah it can be and I got kind of stuck under it one time and I was like yeah how am I gonna get out of this but I just kind of shimmy shimmied out <laughs> <laughs> nothing major though and I just sort of think it's kind of funny looking back on it yeah. yeah and to your credit with the bike stuff and mechanicals you do invest quite a bit of time in teaching yourself and upskilling mm. when it comes to your bike because you'll say to me oh I've just like changed this and I'm like oh I wouldn't even know what that is or, <laughs> or why you changed yeah. it <laughs> I guess um yeah because I, I did briefly work in a bike shop um in Brisbane when I came back from Canada that was something that I really wanted to learn more about my bike and be more self-sufficient I think I know all the basics but it really does come down to practicing all the things quite often like Mm. you know tensioning spokes and that sort of thing I'm not great with but if I had to do it to to save my life I I mean I could probably try and do it Um, but yeah all the basics I'm pretty confident with and I just think it's something that people worry about a lot, but your bike, it will always still go if it's, you know, it'd have to be something major like your chain breaking or something like that, that you can't actually or like buckle a wheel really badly. Yeah. Like, but I mean, I'm not really going crazy with my riding and stuff, so it's just not really something that'll happen. I did have a spoke break on the first day of the, um, like the Mawson trail and a guy on the side of the road helped me take it out and I could still pedal and everything. It's just that I wanted to get to a bike shop to put another spoke in because I was going for another 2,150 kilometers or something. I'd only gone 20 kilometers or something and I'd broken a spoke and yeah, so I got it fixed because I just more peace of mind. And there was a, um, the spoke nipple was rattling around in the wheel. So it was like, tick, tick, Every time I rode, I was like, I cannot put up with this for another 2,000 odd kilometers. Yeah. So it was more so that, that I wanted to get it fixed. But yeah, it's amazing how much pressure you can put on your bike and it can still move and get you going to where you need to go. It's just, it's better to have it more in an optimal position so that you can get there without worrying too much. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was just thinking like, oh, that'd be a terrible soundtrack. Like Like spooky dokes. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah. Do you like have anything that you listen to? Is it literally just you and the road? Like what, you know, you can't read a book. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I guess, yeah, like I kind of try and save my battery power, but if I need a bit of extra motivation, sometimes riding through headwinds can be the worst time. So um, I'll put on some music. I've just got like a liked songs downloads thing that, yeah, it's got some motivational stuff in there. And otherwise, yeah, it's just the sound of my hub, which is pretty loud. Uh, (laughs) And birds. Sometimes it's nice to have a bit of silence. Um, I talk to myself a little bit out there. Makeup songs. Sarah knows all about that. She's (laughs) nodding her head and smiling. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like just probably more music rather than podcasts and that sort of thing. I, I kind of, 
am, am talking to myself while I'm writing and I'm like, come on, keep going. You can do this. When you get to this pole, you can have a break. Mm. So it's more so that. And I think if I was listening to any talking, I'd probably get distracted and I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, get through it as easily. So more motivational music if I'm going to listen to anything. Yeah. Nice. And then when you were out um, in those remote spots, you were mainly wild camping. Mm. Do you have any tips for people if they're considering going like away from the convenience of a caravan park? And like, what what do you look for when you're out there for a good spot? Yeah, so I guess, um, and I'm not even going to say as a woman, because um, I have had guys message me on Instagram and stuff after I've done these trips and like, oh, I wish I could do that. Like, yeah, yeah. so it's not just women who are afraid of going out and camping alone. Um, What I do is I just make sure that I can find somewhere that's sort of out of sight. Uh, it, it helps now that I've got a green tent, but I had an orange tent before. So it's very hard to hide yourself with an orange tent. Um, in the outback, it was okay because the sand was kind yeah. of red and orange. So it did blend in a bit more, but you can usually find some trees off to the side. You don't have to camp right near the road. I know that you did on, on your trip. You were kind of like yeah, right near like the road. The road. <laughs> yeah. But um, I try and get, get myself away from the road as best as I can. Um and yeah, out of sight, out of mind. I would probably say the more that you do it, the better you will feel, the more confident you'll feel for the next times. But you really just need to put yourself out of your comfort zone and just do it. If you keep delaying it, you'll probably never do it. And if you only do it once and go, that was really scary. I don't really want to try that again. You're probably not really going to want to do like a six week trip or something. Um, I did used to feel quite nervous closer to home. Um, and I have had some like weird experiences just with people rocking up when I've been wild camping. So I've learned from that and I've hidden myself a bit more and just don't go to certain places that, you know, are usually going to be overcrowded. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think like you say, it's, it's actually more like I'm imagining weird experiences in a state forest near Brizzy as opposed to mm. being out in a remote spot where. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was in the Glasshouse mountains. So, mm. um, it is quite known for a lot of four wheel drivers going out there, drinking, lighting fires. These people, I think were probably trying to intimidate me a little bit. I did get a bit freaked out and it was, it was actually my first one by myself when I got my new bike, when I came back from Canada and I was like, Oh God, I don't know if I can do this. And I called a friend and I was like, I might need you to pick me up. It was sort of 1am or 2am or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And then it was fine. They put the fire out and then they just took off, but they were shining their torches in at my tent and I was getting a bit freaked out. I don't carry a weapon or anything. I've got like a tiny pocket knife, but it's really not even going to stab me, let alone anyone else. Or like, it's really like a butter knife, but yeah, probably shouldn't tell everyone that I don't have any protection on me. <laughs> well, that's a cultural thing as well. You know, when we talk about um, traveling alone and when I actually was out, where was I? I think it's when I got to Tambo. There was a guy I met who was like, oh, I wouldn't camp out there without a gun. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I don't think of us as being a gun society mm. in the States. I know it's completely different. I wouldn't choose to. I mean, I've never really been in this position, but I just don't want to hold a weapon. I don't mm. know what the hell I would do. And I think intuition, we've talked to a few people who've talked about intuition yeah. being a big part of it yeah. as well. And that comes with experience too. And part of your experience probably comes with a few, um, you know, we always say in inverted 
common failed adventures potentially mm. too of like you have that experience with the guys who are out there in glass house and you're like this just doesn't feel yeah. right you know maybe they're intimidating me maybe they're not so you get that over experience as well yeah has there been anything else that you've kind of like learned from that have, that's gotten to you for your comfort levels now yeah I feel like um if I feel uncomfortable about a spot but I'm there's really nothing else I just try and um leave as early as possible like I don't try and stay there too long I don't hang around if I get that feeling of this is I feel really uncomfortable about this but I kind of have to just choose somewhere and there's not anything better I'm just I get in my head okay like look you're just gonna leave as soon as the sun comes up you'll you know I have everything all ready to go I just need to pretty much get on my bike pack my tent up and and go so I feel like yeah if you feel uncomfortable about the place and also like you don't if you're close to home you can just go home you don't have to stay out there don't don't stay somewhere if you're feeling like it's not going to work out you're not ready for it like i had a moment like that on um strati like recently and i was like i'm just really not feeling it i had a bit of a like crazy time bit of a breakdown called my mom and I was like a bit upset I had some stuff going on and she's like you know you don't have to stay like what you know don't have to prove anything I'm like yeah I'm not trying to prove anything I just I just wanted to get away and I thought that I wanted to camp but I'm feeling I don't want to do that now so I just went home yeah I only went for the day but I had all my camping stuff but you can just change the plan if you want to because who cares yeah who cares you're out there for yourself so do whatever you want for yourself totally this might be an adventure that I bailed on Alison (laughs) that is not the reason why I was down had some other stuff going on oh it wasn't all about me No, yeah. but, and, and that's just, we come back to this every time. It's like, ego, forget it. Why are you there? Like, yeah. nobody cares that yeah. you said you were going to do this and you didn't do this. Like, mm. it just doesn't matter. You've got, yeah. you're, you're out there for fun at the yeah. end of the day, right? And so. I know people who will refuse to talk about their plans of an adventure because they don't want people to think that they've failed or whatever. And I used to think, oh, maybe I should do that too. But I'm like, no, like I don't stop talking sometimes. And if I'm not talking about something, then something's weird, something's off. So, yeah, I feel like just say whatever you think your plan is and who cares if it changes. Like go into it with the idea that it's probably going to change because it probably will. And, yeah, that flexibility on these big trips is just so crucial. And even like you said, you met this girl, Penny. Now, for context, she was – she had her RAV4, but she wanted to drive a loop that she wasn't allowed to do or she couldn't get a Mm. permit for as a solo woman. Is that right? Yeah, so she wanted to go on this um, four-wheel drive section. It was really – you could do it in a two-wheel drive, um, but they said to her – because you're a woman in a two-wheel drive, we don't want to sell you this pass because you could break down, something could happen, you're going to be by yourself, you're not going to be able to fix whatever the problem is. I love this. Like, do they vet guys on their own for their skills? Yeah, exactly. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. And I was that's like, that insane. is... I was like, that's effed up. So I, yeah, I wrote her a little note. I thought about it at night and I was like, you know what? Like, I don't have to ride this bit. I, I had thought about it the whole time. I was like, yep, I'm going to do this. I'm going to ride it. There wasn't my much information about many people writing it I was like yeah that'll be cool I can say that I've done that and I was like no you know she is going to have to travel back to Alice Springs go down the highway to go around and go this really long way and when she's only 
think it was like 150, 200 kilometers or something from where she wanted to go, but she had to cross and she didn't want to do it illegally without the permit. A lot of people do do it without the permit, but she really wanted to, um, she appreciated the Aboriginal land rights and everything. So yeah, and I totally agree with that. And I just thought this is so crap that she is not going to be able to do this. So I said, like, I'll go with you. I'll put my bike in your car if you're, you're okay with that. And she came back from her walk. She um, hiked up Mount Sonda that morning for sunrise and she came back down and she'd left me a note. And, yeah, so we just decided we'd do it together. Um, I just thought that it was more important to have someone else be able to get to their place and we could experience something together rather than just me going on this trip and her having to take this a long way. And yeah, I didn't even know her. I'd had like three words with her about what the, the trip word trip was. And yeah, she just decided, yeah, okay, we'll take a chance and do it. That's so cool. And she's since visited you in Brizzy. So yeah. that's the power of connection on these trips with with women traveling on their own as well. Or yeah. it doesn't even have to be women, I don't think. But that's obviously the perspective we yeah. have. So. Well, there were other women who were at that campsite as well. There were two girls who were traveling and they didn't speak to me and they didn't speak to her. And we were all camped within like a couple of meters of each other. But it was the two single girls who made a connection and yeah, so to and to be fair, Crystal Wright, um, episode three. I think I've actually remembered an episode. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's because it's the first easy. one. <laughs> <laughs> Shush, okay, did great, Sarah. You're doing great, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. Um, she talked about exactly that that you can be traveling with one other person and it suddenly becomes a very insular experience. Mm-hmm. There is that power of you are on your own and you do make those connections as a result. That yeah, it doesn't need to be a big group. Like literally traveling as a couple can change the experience so much yeah sure very cool yeah i would agree with that as well yeah so you've like mentioned all of this stuff and we've kind of touched on a little bit of it but i kind of want to dive into like why do you like doing all of this stuff like what drives you to do it why are you out there yeah because it's big and long and i'm Mm. sure it hurts sometimes yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah i i don't know i guess i really love the feeling of like personal development and growth I really like the outdoors I love the different landscapes there are so many different aspects that I love about it but it is really my time to learn about myself and grow and teach myself new things that I didn't realize that I was capable of until I put myself in a position where I've made it hard for myself to be able to do something okay now I need to get myself out of this or like now I need to get from here to here let me see if I can use these skills to do it. I just feel like in my job, um, it's office job, kind of in a call center environment, I've learned everything I need to know about it. I haven't done any new training. I'm just feeling very stagnant and this is my escape um, where I can do all of those things but not necessarily have to make it a career or like get paid for it. It's something that I enjoy. I never really felt like I had a passion after finishing school I like played team sport and stuff but I never really continued on with any of those things and I just felt like I see people have got this passion it's like photography or you know it doesn't even have to be adventurous but they've got this passion and I'm like what is mine where is my passion and it took me a while but I finally found it and it's not just riding like I do love hiking and 
anything outdoors, I, I really love it. Um, but definitely being on a bike, there's just this freeing experience, like especially coasting, like down a hill. You've just struggled, you've gone up this hill, but then you get to go down it and, you know, you can kind of like let your hands out if you've got good balance and you can, I don't know, it's just this wild feeling and sometimes I'm like so grateful that I'm experiencing this and it just this is like wave of emotions over me and it's like this is why I'm doing it yeah you can you can just feel it it's like I want to do this and I want this feeling to last and yeah that's that's probably what's driving me knowing that that feeling is there and you can get it at any time you just have to like push yourself to get through it sometimes yeah. yeah. Do you find a lot of that confidence that comes from, you know, putting yourself in those situations or problem solving, getting yourself out? Does that equate to things in your everyday life as well? Do you think that yeah. help you? Yeah, for sure. Like, I feel like I'm probably a pretty confident person, but you know, everyone goes through different stages in their life where you kind of lose some things about yourself and you've got to try and get it back again. I think that me going on these trips is like a bit of a kick up the butt sometimes it's like okay I've gone on this trip now and I'm feeling so empowered by these things that I've done I can do anything now you can like take on the world because you've put yourself into these positions where you've had to try and make it work with your own knowledge your own physical leg power um, lung capacity everything you know so it's like well I've done that like why can't I do this thing and so even if it's just going out and meeting people um, it's not necessarily a physical thing, like just going out and meeting people, putting yourself out of your comfort zone by talking to new people and making new friends. I feel like that's not really something that you do. Um, when you're sort of out of high school, you have to make new friends when you're in your thirties and like even forties, I feel like it's a lot more difficult to meet people when you're just working with people who have none of the same interests as you. So yeah, pushing yourself to meet new people can be um, something that you're also getting out of your comfort zone for as well. Totally. It's hard as an adult. I feel like we come across this all the time, but it's not easy to yeah. meet people as an adult. So yeah. people, yeah. I should, we should be specific. It's easy to meet people, but people oh, who are aligned yeah. with yeah. everything that yeah. you are as well, you know, like it's finding the people that like what we say all the time, hey, I'm going to go to this adventure. Do you want to join? And they actually show up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's hard to find that kind of click of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aligned. Correct. My favorite word. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's people like there's a butt ton of people. Yeah, you're right. Sunshine <laughs> Coast and in Brisbane. Like we meet people every day. But it's the, yeah, the good connections. <laughs> Working on Boxing Day, you met a lot of people. You met a lot of people in retail. <laughs> but you're not going adventuring with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. True. I feel pretty fortunate because I have like an amazing group of friends who love adventuring so we've like picked up random people from different things and gone hey do you you want to join our group and you can go with five people on this adventure you can go with two people and you kind of get to know each person a little bit differently each time I'm probably more of a smaller group person and I know that about myself and it has taken me a long time to realize that but I push myself out of my comfort zone by joining in with bigger group things. And I've been doing that a lot more over the last sort of six months as I've been like going through life um, changes. So yeah, I feel like meeting people who are on the same page as you is definitely quite difficult, but yeah, it's as simple as sometimes just saying, Hey, cool bike. And then you realize they're into all these different things that 
can bring you out of your comfort zone for those things like trying new things, skating, surfing, whatever. And yeah. So. And the other thing as well, because I know we talked about going on a, I was going to join you on a group adventure on your Bundaberg ride. Mm-hmm. And it's that thing of just being upfront and saying like, I want to hang out with you, but there are going to be times when actually I'm probably just going to want to ride on my own or I need my own space. It's nothing to do with you. It's just like, I just like some quiet time, you know, yeah. and that's also possible within a group environment. Granted, it probably has to be in the right environment and with the right people but there is that element as well yeah you got to know your boundaries and Mm. just be honest with them and if you're concerned that you might not get those times bring it up at the start like I did that with the Bundaberg trip as well because I went with um three dudes and I had only met one of them a couple of times through riding we'd met at some riding events and then one was his friend who was in his 40s and then the other one was Maxie from bike pack shop and he's 19 so there were some big age differences and I thought oh my god I'm not gonna be able to keep up with these younger guys or like Keegan um he's like quite a fast rider and I'm quite slow down the back but then the guy in his 40s he was quite slow down the back as well we cheered each other on but there were times where I was like sorry guys I just cannot talk I I need to be silent for a bit and then I would just like roll at the back or like have a nap in my tent and then come out half an hour later and be like what are you guys doing you know so yeah just being open and honest about your boundaries you can still have fun on group things as long as you tell people what what you need to have a good time. Yeah. Setting expectations. Yeah. Everybody's on the same page as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like most people in the endurance space are quite conscious of that. Most people get into it. Well, I guess most people actually get into it probably with the group and then they might go do a bit of solo stuff and then re-merge back into the group knowing how they kind of function a little bit better Mm. as well. So I think everybody's pretty much on that same page too. Just knowing yourself more. Mm -hmm. Side note, that trip was quite profitable. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so we hit up a couple of pubs along the way. Um, we went through some rural towns. So basically we, we caught the train from Brisbane. We all live in Brisbane. We caught the train to Bundaberg and then rode from Bundaberg back to Brisbane through some national parks and stopped at a couple of towns along the way to get resupply and have dinner and all sorts of things. We camped at a caravan park in Biggenden. And then we went down to the local pub and we realized that between five and eight, any drinks that you buy, you get a little raffle ticket. And we had collected something like 14 tickets or something between, <laughs> between, the, four of you. <laughs> between the four of us, between five and eight. But we were there since like 3.30. So we had been drinking all that time before as well. Um, so we were feeling pretty good. And so we thought we'll just pile all of our tickets together. The jackpot prize was $800. So if you get the winning ticket, you get to go up and pick a card off the board. And if you pick like a playing card, if you pick the Joker, you win the jackpot. So it's jackpot Joker or something like that. And so we got the winning ticket and I was screaming through the pub like, oh my God, we won. And they're like, you still have to pick the card. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, I'm going to get it. And one of the guys was like, let's just go. We're never going to win. And then we got the ticket and I was like, no, we're going to win. It's happening. Very positive about this. Very optimistic. And I'm like, which card, which card? Everyone's yelling all these things in the background. And I'm just like, I think it was like second row from the bottom, second card from the right. And then they turned it and I was like, yes, we won the Joker pop, jackpot. So $800. All this cash. Yeah. So yeah, we I paid for your dinner for that night and all your beer. Yeah. I split it between everyone because we didn't know whose ticket, ticket it was because we put them all together. 
but also like it would have been really weird. Yeah, sorry, I this is mine. $800 guys. No, no, no. You're not getting any of this. Um, but yeah, it just like, it was a really cool thing to have happened on the trip. And we talked about it so many times throughout, like, wonder where else we're going to get some money. And it was just, yeah, really, really fun adventure. Yeah. That's an awesome little story. That's from all your practice, from doing the cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the tarot cards and stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, we did we did I pulled in well, I brought an Oracle deck um to the studio. So we pulled some cards before we started this episode, which was a first for Kristen and for Alison not. We've shared some card readings. Yeah. But yeah, there Video you go. Card readings. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Um so I'm conscious of time is my favorite expression. This is going to drop at the beginning of 2022. In terms of intentions for the year ahead, Alison, what does that look like for you? So, yeah, I kind of have been making routes for all different places. I'm going to just be sticking to Australia because I really don't have high hopes of anything um, outside of Australia opening up. Eventually, I would like to ride in New Zealand. I think I would, I'll just stick close to Australia, if anything. I don't really want to think about anything overseas because I don't want to be disappointed. But um, within Australia, I'd really like to head back to the outback. The red sand is just so magical. Like it's sparkling like diamonds in the sand. So I just really need to get back to that. That's something that's driving me. Um, but I have made a route um, to travel throughout Australia, kind of like a loop riding through outback Queensland um, and outback South Australia, heading over to do the Mundabidi in Perth. Amazing. Um, so many different places, um, eventually back to Tasmania and hopefully to Canberra to meet a bunch of people in that bikepacking community that I haven't met that I've made good friends with on Instagram. Um, so, yeah, probably a lot more travel within Australia. Um, time frame, length, not sure how long exactly depending on a few different things throughout the year. I obviously have to work at some point as well, but to make money. <laughs> yeah. But I'm very open to potentially even like working in rural areas and stuff because um, they do need a lot of help in certain areas where the backpackers um, are no longer. So I've thought about doing that as well, but I'm very open at the moment. Would you ever look at doing Canada again? I know that you don't want to think of anything else outside of kind of Pacific, but Alex is like aggressively <laughs> nodding. <laughs> Eyes wide open. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I really want to do um, the Great Divide. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to. Even I'm like. I know. Kristen's in. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Okay. Us three. We'll yeah. do it. Yeah, Let's go. Yeah. Um, that was my original intention to when I eventually get my bike, I was got my bike in uh, Canada. I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that is still on the cards. And then Baja divide, um, cool. Mexico would be really cool. Um, there's so many places that I want to ride overseas, but I'll save that for, um, another time. I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's on. so much to explore in Australia though. Like I have not even touched the surface of it. And that's a really good point as well. And we mentioned that when we were just driving here is that thing of COVID, but it has actually just made us look at adventuring in our backyard. And we live in a massive country and there is a lot to explore. There are these designated routes, but as you've done creating your own routes as well, there is so much out there. Yeah. Nice. Amazing. All right. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up? Not that I can think of. Share. Oh, <laughs> do you do? Oh, God. Sarah, you must do it. Uh, no, 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 no. I know. I was like, oh, God, stop. 
can feel something inside myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Not even drunk. Oh, what is this? <laughs> you guys have a vibe. Yeah. All right, so will we wrap up with our final question? Um, so big, big question to end. I was coaching a group of little girls mountain biking at Sugarbag Mountain Bike Trails on the Sunshine Coast. Their session is an hour long and they couldn't make it through the hour without needing to go to the bathroom. So their little request was always like, oh, hey, we need a wild wee. Mm. Alison, I imagine you've had a few wild wees. Can yeah. you tell us about your most memorable yeah, okay. So um, in Tasmania, when I was riding with that dude for a couple of days, um, I had just met him and um, I had to pull over and do a wee. And I was like, don't look, I'm going to go behind this tree. I've got to do a wee. And I went behind the tree and I started peeing on a jumping jack nest. What is a jumping jack? It's like a very painful... Um, biting ant yeah and bad in australia hey people i think there's only been one case of someone actually dying from like anaphylactic shock but it was on david attenborough and i was so freaked out because i watched the tasmanian special of david attenborough before i left and i was like oh my god this thing had bitten me on the butt it was very painful um for like five days and very itchy oh Yeah, okay, so quick check of your spot before you squat. Yes, (laughs) yes, yeah, check the spot before you squat. There we go. That's just a great example of how we take these experiences and we learn from them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're like your body language right now, you're cringing. Oh, because I'm just like, I got bitten by a bull ant on Christmas Day and I still have like a massive welt, so I can't Mm. even imagine what that would be like. Yeah, they're a bit bigger than bull ants, but I also welt up like that too. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it was very painful. Especially yeah. because the main thing you do when you're riding is sit on your butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. You kind of need that as well. Yeah. Mm. I feel like. <laughs> and I was really annoyed <laughs> because the guy that I was with was like, I was like, oh, oh this wouldn't have happened if I was, if I was on my own. I wouldn't have to go behind <laughs> this tree. Like, you've done this. <laughs> That's like literally everything that I do with my husband. I'm like, Phil, if, if you weren't here, this wouldn't happen. <laughs> but it's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. All right. It has been so much fun talking to you, Alison. Is there somewhere online that people can find you? I think I've probably given that away already. Yeah. But... <laughs> um, just on Instagram mainly, I will be starting up a website eventually. Um, it'll be based around my Instagram name, Alison Wonderland. But how um, do you spell it? A-L-L-I-S underscore O-N underscore Wonderland. Yeah. So it's like Alice on Wonderland yep. based off my name. Yeah. Love it. It's yeah. a perfect time to wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Ness. So, yeah, Ness is visiting the house, but I think she may need to go out because she doesn't normally do this in her crate. Mm. <laughs> Potentially. She's All done right. very well this whole time. Fair. She has. The always dogs have little, done well. Always a little shout out to you, buddy. Nailed it. Thank you again, Allison. Like, all of your effort to get here we really appreciate doing it yeah. in person it's lovely to meet yeah, it's you it's been a pleasure well. thank yeah. you thank you so much yeah. it's been so much fun thanks for listening to another episode of into the wee hours podcast to get in touch you can find us on instagram at into the wee hours podcast or email us at into the wee hours podcast at gmail.com on instagram sarah is all the gear nay idea 
And that is N-A-E for all you non-Scots people. And Kristen is at Kristen Vodden. To read the show notes or to listen on the website, you can visit intothewearers.com forward slash podcast. And to help support this podcast, you can also head over to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash podcast. Happy adventuring and we will talk to you next time.